I mean, it sounds like the way I'm talking, it almost sounds like, oh, Brian, you know, has found peace in his life and he's, he's a guru or something. No, I, I'm not even close to being able to get to that point. But at least I've read enough about it to know that there is a way to do it. And I have practiced enough with it to know that it makes sense and that it works if you do it correctly. Have you ever let stress get the better of you? Want to know how to maximize your productivity? My name is Tommy Bowie. Follow me as I deep dive into the minds of successful entrepreneurs and industry professionals on the tools, tips, and strategies they use to overcome stress and boost productivity in their daily lives, especially when the going gets tough and the stakes are high. This is the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today is a trial lawyer by day representing survivors of sexual abuse. He has been practicing law for over 20 years and his cases take him across the country. He's also the host of Dream Path Podcast, which focuses on the artistic journeys of successful musicians, filmmakers, writers, painters, and creatives of all types. In January this year, he was invited as a member of the press to attend the Sundance Film Festival, where he conducted eight long-form interviews of filmmakers, as well as numerous red carpet interviews of actors, directors, and screenwriters, including Will Ferrell and Aubrey Plaza. His hope with his podcast is to inspire listeners to pursue their own creative dreams and passions. What inspired them to make the leap from their day jobs to a career in the arts? What hurdles did they overcome? What advice do they have for aspiring artists? Tune into his podcast to find out the answers to these questions and more. Today I have with me Brian Gregory Smith. Brian, thank you for coming on the Stressless Entrepreneur podcast. Tommy, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Brian, I wanted to get you on the show today because you're currently working in two completely different lines of work, one being a trial lawyer representing survivors of sexual abuse, and the second being a podcast host of the Dream Path podcast, which is more geared towards the creative industry. So I really wanted to dig deeper into how you've been able to manage the two and some of the challenges that come with it. But before we do that, are you able to give us a bit of history about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I live here in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. And I have, I was born and raised here in central Washington. Mm -hmm. I have uh, law offices throughout the state of Washington in Seattle, in Yakima, in Kennewick. And the focus of my practice in particular, I have law partners that don't have this specialty, but my practice is I represent survivors of sexual abuse against various institutions like the Catholic Church. And mm -hmm. I also have a podcast called Dream Path Podcast, which is a little over a year old now. Mm -hmm. And that is, as you said at the beginning, an entirely different venture. It has nothing to do with the law. And the focus of the podcast is to talk to creatives about their artistic journey into the arts and the challenges that they faced along the way. Mm -hmm. The reason I started that podcast is that I am a musician and a writer. And I have a creative streak in me like a lot of folks do. In fact, I would argue that everyone has a creative side to them that just needs to be nurtured and cultivated for it to blossom. And so my hope is with the podcast that I can inspire others to make that leap into some type of creative endeavor, even if it's not as a profession, because that's what I'm hoping to do, which is to balance out my professional life with this this project that has nothing to do with the law so that I can basically stay sane and mm -hmm. feel, feel fulfilled. Yep. 
I do want to talk about the Dream Pass podcast a little bit later in the episode, but let's go back to your profession as a trial lawyer. What inspired you to become a trial lawyer? Well, my worldview is very much taking the side of the underdog type of worldview. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that way about life in general, is that the, there is a power differential in our society. And when I say our society, I mean not just the United States, but the entire world, where the rich and the haves have much more power than the have-nots. Yep. And so my client base, a lot of them have been boarding school students. They've been at the mercy of institutions like boarding schools, Catholic churches, and government entities. And also part of my practice is representing folks against large corporations like insurance companies. And so where my worldview took me in the law is advocating for people that don't have a voice. So I'm trying to give them a voice. And I'm a big believer in facilitating that process through, if necessary, litigation so that justice can be done for the folks that, that were wronged. Yep. As a job in itself, you mentioned before that you know you started the podcast because you wanted to keep yourself sane. As a trial attorney, what was it like working and did you ever experience any burnout? Well, the, the stress of being a trial lawyer is profound or it can be. And it really yep. depends on the types of cases you take and how many times a year you end up actually in trial. Mm-hmm. Trial can be kind of a soul-sucking endeavor that takes away from family time. It takes away from personal time. And what you're doing is you're giving everything that you have to that client and to that case. And so, yeah, anytime a profession demands that of a professional, there is the risk for burnout. And this, if the same is true, whether you're a CPA or a medical doctor, there are certain types of professions that just demand everything and more from the professional. And I think that we also are starting to see that in jobs that you would not expect that dynamic to occur up until maybe 10 years ago. And I think what's happening, talking about the power differential, is that corporations like Apple, like Amazon, I love these companies, but the bigger they become, the more powerful they become, Mm -hmm. the less power their employees have. And they too get sucked into this false narrative that, They have to be on call basically 24-7. You have to be checking your email Mm 24-7. And if you don't do that, you are considered to be a slacker. And that that type of culture is really troubling for me as a human being because we are so much more than our jobs and our occupations. And so, yeah, there's there's a big uh, risk for burnout. It happened with me. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons I started the podcast. I needed to do something different to cultivate and nurture that side of me that has nothing to do with a career that up until last year really defined me as an individual. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I started the podcast. Yeah. You mentioned that you experienced your own burnout. Are you able to tell us more about how that happened and how you got through that phase? Yeah, I think burnout manifests itself in various ways with folks. Uh, It can, if it affects your passion, In other words, if you get up in the morning and you're no longer looking forward to what you do for a job, then that's a sign of burnout. If you are making mistakes that you never made before, that's a sign of burnout. Mm -hmm. Uh, That didn't happen with me, but I've seen it happen with colleagues. Things slip through the cracks. You're just not on top of things as much anymore. Maybe you're not as focused. 
But ultimately, I think you have to have a really good barometer for your own level of happiness and, and sense of fulfillment. And if you're not feeling that sense of fulfillment that you had, say, 10 years ago or five years ago, you have to examine why. And it could be burnout. It could be a number of things. But if burnout is occurring, there needs to be action taken. You can't just ignore it. Otherwise, the burnout is going to manifest in something like the lawyer committing malpractice. I mean, you just drop the ball and all of a sudden you've screwed up a client's case. Or it can manifest in alcohol and drug use, yep. escapism, that type of thing. Or you know, various other addictions, social media addiction, where you're just kind of looking for an escape and you go down the rabbit hole of Twitter or Facebook. And so burnout for me, the way it manifested was I just didn't have that spark like I wanted to have. And then I felt my clients really deserved. Yep. Yep. And so I looked for a way to reignite that spark. And so far it's working mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. now, now, I mean, I've created another challenge by starting the podcast which is, am I burning myself out by basically taking on another full-time job, which is, I didn't realize this when I started it, but you know, probably better mm -hmm. than any, anybody, mm -hmm. that <laughs> the podcast will take whatever you can give and more. And um, so am I creating another problem while so solving the other? Who knows? But it's tough. It's a, it's a tough work-life balance and podcast life balance that you have to strike as, as a trial lawyer and as a podcaster. Right, right. I love that you mentioned, you know, there has to be some level of fulfillment and motivation to actually do your work. And when it comes to not having the motivation, you sometimes may not care as much in your the client base or delivering what they deserve. So I do agree in that. When you mentioned, you know, the podcast and the full-time job, that's the exact same situation I'm in as well. So I still have my full-time job, but it's not providing me that fulfillment like this podcast has. But in saying that, my podcast is only three months old, so the fulfillment and motivation is still fresh. So I'm very interested to see how I go, you know, a year or two down, down the line. Yeah. Being in the industry for 20 years now, what can you say are some common themes when it comes to stress and trauma, not just for the clients, but for yourself as well? Well, the stress and trauma, I mean, one thing that trialers try to do is we try to step inside the skin of the client or the shoes of the client, however you want to put it, so that we really understand their story. Mm -hmm. And that's a great thing to discover their story because by doing that, you are able to better tell their story and give them a voice that they've mm -hmm. never had mm -hmm. up to that point. The problem with that, though, is that the secondary, I don't know what you would call this, but basically you are taking on their stress as well. Mm -hmm. You are internalizing the same stress and trauma that they've had because you're trying to put yourself in their shoes and really understand where they came from. And so their stress and trauma is relieved by the very act of being heard and listened to for the first time in their lives. Mm -hmm. Many times when they disclose that they've been abused, I'm the very first person that they've ever told. They've never told their wife or their, their spouse, their children, their parents, their priest, their anybody in their life that is close to them, they haven't told. So that can be an, a cathartic experience. But the lawyer, by taking that on, takes on the burden and the heaviness of that disclosure and that story. So that can be traumatic in and of itself for the attorney. But then there's also the... I wouldn't call it trauma, but there's an aspect of the practice where 
you are making sacrifices and usually those sacrifices are the, at the expense of your spouse and your children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is that you're making a choice every day about how to spend your time and being a trial lawyer, you can't just be a trial lawyer from eight to five and then say, all right, five o'clock, it's time to be a father or a mother. Yep, yep. You are a trial lawyer 24 seven. And there's this 24 seven churn of information and questions and actions that need to be taken as a lawyer that creates that burnout and also a sense of loss after 20 years. I think this happens for anybody that's worked in a profession for 20 years. You look back on your time in your job and you're like, did I make the right choice mm -hmm. when I was not the coach for my eight-year-old soccer team because I was too busy at work? That choice that I made allowed me to be more successful in my job because I worked more hours and I was there for my boss. But was I there for my kid? Yep. Was, I, was I there for my spouse? And that can be traumatic. Just that process of forensically going back and examining the choices that you've made in life can be traumatic. And it's not specific to being a trial lawyer. It's anybody who has a career of any kind where we're really sucked into this 24-7 cycle of give me, give me, give me more of you. And we feel like we're not a good employee unless we do. We're not a good lawyer or a doctor or a CPA unless we do that. So. Um, I know that's a rambling answer, but that's kind of my uh, organic off the cuff response. No, no, that's, that's incredible because you mentioned a couple of things here. You know, when we talk about someone needing our attention, it's that mental energy that is required and the true empathy that, that's required within us to actually take on that energy. And it can be quite tough to go to work and have all that mental energy exhausted and then to come home and still require or have other needs that need to be filled, both for ourselves but our family. And 20 years is a long time if you haven't actually had enough of a break to kind of rejuvenate that mental energy. Now that you started the podcast, are you able to tell the listeners what the Dream Path podcast is all about? And what was that turning point in your trial lawyer career when you said, you know, I need to do something in terms of being a creative artist? Well, how the podcast unfolded and began is, is a complicated story. It doesn't really stem from one particular conversation or epiphany. But yep. over time, as we were talking about, you know, this burnout was occurring and it was sort of bubbling below the surface. Mm -hmm. um, then I had a pretty profound conversation with an old friend of mine that I stayed with for a couple of days. And he convinced me that I had what it took to start a podcast and to be successful so he really encouraged me to do that. It was a, an old high school friend. And other conversations I had with my wife and other friends, it just, I got a lot of encouragement from the right people at the right time. And then I was at the Sundance Film Festival and one of my friends actually, best friends was someone who had a film showing there. And she was later nominated for an Oscar and she agreed to be on my podcast before she went to the Academy Awards and knew whether she won or not. And by the, by the time I sat down with her, she had won the Academy Award. So she was my second guest on the podcast. So I felt like I hit a home run kind of right out of the gate Yep, yep. with um, having instant street cred because I was interviewing an Academy Award winner Right, right. as my second guest. And that interview went really well. It wasn't just, oh, here's an, an Academy Award winner. We actually had a really great conversation. And that led to other connections, which led to other connections. And it was all driven by my curiosity about 
how successful creatives do it. How do they make the leap full-time into the arts, making money, even if they're just scraping by and they're just paying the, the bills every month and they're, they're not multimillionaires. I'm fascinated by folks who are living that life and living that dream. Because I, I think it is an act of courage to make, try to make a living in the arts when everything that we are taught as children really is to push against that and go toward a more normal profession, like be a teacher or be a doctor or be a lawyer, something with a steady paycheck. Yep. So the courage comes from the fact that when you jump into a field like painting or writing, there's so much uncertainty, but it doesn't matter Mm. to those folks that do that because the way they look at it there's no other choice that's it that's all they can do is yep. is manifest that creativity in the form of you know whatever field they choose yeah and you know speaking to my parents the discussion when i was younger was either go through the engineer route or the architect route and you mm. know one's a bit more mathematical well they're both math mathematical one has the artistic side to it and at that time, I made the decision to head towards mining engineering because that was what was bringing in the money at the time. And I'm not too sure if that was the right decision because I didn't end up being any of those and I ended up doing business. But that's very interesting because when we have that conversation about whether it's a more secure or stable system, like a public service or corporate job, because there's that consistent paycheck versus the artistic world where they just don't have that exposure to understand, well, how are you going to survive if the paycheck doesn't come in? And that uncertainty as a parent, it's all about making sure that the child's safe. So that's a risky option for them to kind of even think about. So I'm trying to figure out how that works. But I think there's a big misconception when it comes to artists as well, that within that creative artist field, there's only a small certain percentage to actually make it all the way to the top. And that's the, the big celebs and the, the big actors and actresses that we see who are only a small percentage of the actual industry. Yeah, it's not a very glamorous. I mean, if you talk to, if you look at the list of people that I've interviewed, most of the folks that I've interviewed are not huge stars. Some of them are. Yep. But most of them are a little more behind the scenes folks, uh, a director of a documentary or an actor that has a lot of television, you know, a, a big filmography for a television series, but he's a character actor. And how do these folks do it? How do they make a living? And it's, it's fascinating because you're right, there's probably 99% of the people in entertainment or the arts are people that you have never heard of and probably will never hear of but they are doing what they love and they're making a living at it. And that's my, my goal is on the podcast to discover their stories because I think it makes it a more real possibility for people who haven't made that leap if they hear those stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are some of the current challenges that you're facing? Because you're working as a trial attorney full-time, now you've got the podcast, it's about a year and a bit. What are the challenges that you're facing? Not enough time, right? just not enough time during the day to get everything done. And so I usually devote my, my days obviously are devoted to trial work and representing my clients. Evenings, same thing. I'm still working well into the evening just to keep up with my law practice. And so when do I have time for podcasting and booking interviews like this one or doing my own interviews or the social media obligations? It's really difficult. Mm -hmm. When I first started the podcast, I had no idea how much time it was going to take. And yeah, I mean, it's really a choice because you know that you can choose to do one interview per month or 10 interviews per month. It's totally right. up to you. 
And I, I do two interviews per month and I can, and I do two, what I call duo casts or recaps with my producer per month. So there's one per week that we're putting out either a guest interview or some type of recap discussion with my producer. And every week when it comes out on a Wednesday, you know, the Tuesday night before I'm doing show notes, Wednesday I'm doing social media posts, which take way longer than I thought they would take mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. before I started this thing. And I just didn't appreciate how time consuming it all was. So it's the challenge is just, I wish I had about 10 more hours, maybe 12, maybe 20 more hours for each yep, day yep. to be able to knock this stuff out and still be as productive as I want to be. So um, other challenges are doing it all on a budget. I think what happens is I default to trying to farm out or uh, subcontract a lot of the projects out because I just don't have the time. I mean, right. and I, I don't have the expertise either, but I could figure it out if I tried, but I don't have time to figure it out. So I end up spending money on things that I could end up doing myself, but for the time. Yeah, I think when it comes to a second venture, because we're already time limited, there needs to be that balance of understanding, well, what can we outsource and what we can do on our own? I think the more tedious and time consuming tasks, there are places that are appropriate for outsourcing. But I think when you need that personal touch and you need that, that side of you to, to show, it's very hard to, to kind of get that outsourced. So I, I agree with you there. When it comes to you saying that you need maybe 20 more hours during the week and, and whatnot, have you ever thought about maybe pulling back from the trial attorney work and pursuing this a bit more full-time, you can say? I have thought about it. Right now, I have cases that are going to have me pretty heavily involved in litigation for the next several years. Yep. But I love to be able to dedicate more time to the podcast, which necessarily means pulling back from my trial practice. Uh, I think that there's a lot of stories to reveal and uncover in podcasting that I want to be a part of. And I'm super excited about doing that work. So yeah, eventually, I mean, I don't know that I'll ever be a full-time podcaster for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. One, I don't know that I could ever leave the law practice completely because I'm still passionate about it. Mm -hmm. But also from a monetary standpoint, I just don't know how feasible it would be to support my family and my lifestyle with a podcast, especially with 950,000 podcasts out there right right you've you've got some some a couple of big winners you got the joe rogans of the world that are striking 100 million dollar deals with spotify mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then you have everybody else <laughs> that you know trying to figure out a way to monetize in any way whatsoever you know even if it's a hundred dollars a month i think that is quite an accomplishment in this yep. uh this world and this environment that we're in now in podcasting yeah, talking about the, the world that we're in now, we know that the creative industry has been hurting and hit quite hard when it comes to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Has COVID-19 impacted any of your businesses in any way? COVID-19 has definitely affected my trial practice because the courts have shut down. Yep, yep. Yeah, and so I'm here in Washington State, which happens to be ground zero for the first diagnosed case of COVID back in January. Mm -hmm. And I think in March, the King County courts in the Seattle area shut down all the courts, and they're still saying that they're not going to see civil jury trials happening probably in 2020. So that has a big impact on our business and our ability to push cases forward. And mm -hmm. in terms of podcasting, the only difference that has been a bummer for me 
is that I like to do a lot of my interviews in person. Yep, yep. And so I would fly to Los Angeles frequently to interview guests, flew to the East Coast. I was planning a trip to New York to interview a movie director and a, and a pop singer there. I, I'm supposed to be there this week. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, of course, New York was um, slammed by COVID and still is struggling with that situation. So podcasting has been affected with regard to the in-person interviews, but it's also an opportunity to get to know the technology a little better, the Zoom technology and Squadcast and all of the different options there are for podcasting. And, you know, it does save time and money to do this face-to-face on Zoom as opposed to flying, you know, a $1,000 round-trip ticket to the East Coast and the hotel Mm -hmm. and all that entails. So I'm getting used to it and I'm just going to have to accept this new reality that we have until we find a vaccine or an effective treatment. Yep. Do you think you'll go back to the more uh, one-on-one and face-to-face type of environment for the podcast once it's all over or have you already adjusted to the, the virtual environment? I think I'm going to be more open to Zoom interviews, but I'm going to probably still default to the in-person interview if I can do it safely. Yeah. I mean, the audio quality is much better, obviously, face-to-face. The connection, just the, the human connection that you get right. from a face-to-face right. interview is, is better. And that's just where I cut my teeth as a podcaster is doing it. I, I didn't even think about doing them remotely. And then all of a sudden I had, well, I, I did one, I think, from a guy out of um, Wisconsin, a musician. And um, I didn't like the audio quality of it. But I think Zoom's getting better. I think the technology's getting better. The latency is not as bad as it used to be. The compression is still pretty awful. But yeah, I do want to get back to... I mean, another reason I like going to Los Angeles is I like to surf. And I like to see my friends down there. I have a couple of friends that live in the area. Mm -hmm. And I like the weather, obviously. So I want to get back to traveling and doing doing face-to-face interviews as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. So in saying that, in terms of the podcast and the work as a, as a trial attorney, where do you see yourself in the next 12 to 24 months? I know that the attorney space is a bit more laid out and you kind of have a, a path because, you know, cases can go for some, some years. But, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of that growth, where do you see yourself in the next 24 years? Uh, 24 months, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think on the, on the legal practice, I see myself kind of in the same space two years from now as I do today. Mm -hmm. I'm involved in New York with um, sexual abuse litigation, New Mexico, uh, California, Oregon, Washington, obviously, since that's where my my law offices are. And I just don't see that practice slowing up anytime soon. And plus, I still think there's a need for people who know how to do this type of work. So I want to be there as a resource for clients and as, as an advocate for them. Um, in terms of the podcast, I hope to have a much larger audience by the time, you know, by two years from now, to the point where it becomes a sustainable thing. In other words, I don't want to be, you know, tapping into my life savings to <laughs> sustain the podcast. I, I want to at least have some type of monetizable business model where my producer can be paid. I don't need a salary. I mean, I, I'm fine. My, my law practice has treated me well, but I would like to be able to pay my, my producer and all the subcontractors and the web designer and all of that through the, the proceeds from the podcast eventually. That, mm-hmm. That's my goal. I don't, have the, I, I don't have these lofty desires to become the next Joe Rogan or anything like that or, or Tim Ferriss. I'm not saying I would turn away from that type of situation, but... I think be more realistic 
is probably you know the best way to approach this, which is, is there a way to create a sustainable business model so that I can continue doing what I love doing? That's basically it. I just want to do this and not get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife's going to be like eventually, hey, Brian, you know, when is this going to at least pay for itself? And we'll see if that ever happens. Yeah. Because I think at, at this point in time, it's about that self-fulfillment. And this is something that's giving you that self-fulfillment, but it's also building your network and you're creating that social environment that allows you to kind of get that self-care you need whilst actually building an audience and providing value. So I completely agree with you on, on that point. I want to go back to your 20 years as a trial attorney. If there are people who are undergoing stress at the moment or have experienced trauma, do you have some tips from the 20 years of cases on how best to kind of deal with stress or if they're feeling unmotivated at work or if they're scared to pursue their passion, what can they kind of use to kind of get through that? That's a great question. I just discovered a, an author and a screenwriter and a filmmaker named Julia Cameron. Yep. And she has this concept or this practice called morning pages. Mm -hmm. And morning pages are talked about by podcasters and creatives in all fields. I think it's one of these things, it's a, it's a meditative exercise that you can do to really tap into your own creativity. And I started doing it recently. And I, I can tell you that it is so far, and I'm, I'm not, I'm just a couple of weeks into it and I'm not consistent every day like I need to be. But morning pages in a nutshell is this, you get up in the morning and you have a journal or a notebook and you write out three pages in longhand, not typing, mm -hmm. of whatever is on your mind. And it doesn't matter if it's good writing or bad writing and probably bad. Okay. So just accept that. Don't worry about punctuation or grammar. Don't worry about being clever. Get out whatever is on your mind onto those three pages. And what it does is, according to Julia Cameron, and I've, I've listened to some interviews of her since looking into this, it's sort of a siphon to take away a lot of the negativity that sits in our psyche and does not get dealt with. So it's, it's therapeutic in a way, mm -hmm. and it really opens up this focus throughout the day that I haven't experienced before. Now, I will tell you, full disclosure, I do not meditate. So maybe meditation would do the same thing, but mm -hmm. every time I've tried to meditate and I have several meditation apps, I'm just so terrible at it yeah. that I don't get, I don't get through it. But if you give me a task like here, write three pages in longhand, Julia Cameron style, I can do that way easier than I can meditate. So maybe I'll get to a point where I can meditate, but I think meditation or some type of meditative act to get back to your original question is the way that you deal with stress. Because where does stress come from? What is stress? I think stress is the narrative in our head, the story that we're telling ourselves, which is either grievances from the past or worries about something that may or may not happen in the future. Mm -hmm. It's not accepting the now. You know, Eckhart Tolle is one of my, my go-to philosophers when it comes to getting through stress. Yep. And I've probably listened to his book, A New Earth, on his audio book at least 10 times all the way through. And I can still hear the cadence of his voice in my head talking about the power of now, basically, which is another one of his books. Mm -hmm. But any type of meditative act gets you out of your head. It allows you to observe 
the ego as opposed to think that the ego is part of you, which it isn't. It's this separate thing that has its own story that it spins. And it allows you to be a little more objective. And once you start observing these things that are very dysfunctional going on in your brain, in your soul, then you can divorce yourself from them and not identify so much with them. So if you don't identify with those feelings, they're separate from you, then you're that much closer to peace. I mean, it sounds like the way I'm talking, it almost sounds like, oh, Brian, you know, has found peace in his life and he's, he's a guru or something. No, I, I'm not even close to being able to get to that point. But at least I've read enough about it to know that there is a way to do it. And I have practiced enough with it to know that it makes sense and that it works if you do it correctly. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm just like everybody else. I'm, I stress out over things I shouldn't stress out over, but I am to the point where I know what I need to do about it. I just haven't done it as much as I should, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny because, you know, we know what we need to do. A lot of us have, have read the power of now a new earth, and we know exactly what it is that we need to do to kind of stay present and be mindfulness, but then allowing ourselves to actually just sit back and pause and just think about the present moment actually quite difficult to do because our minds are just just wired to just race forward and and think about the past as well so i appreciate that tip i myself do a bit of morning mindset and when it comes to writing not three pages worth but it's more about that daily gratitude and kind of what would you get excited about because getting myself to write a long form very difficult because as soon as i wake up i'm ready for the day you know i got i got a podcast a recording ready to go and all these meetings booked before I even start work. So it's just that quick empowerment, even if it's just five, 10 minutes, gets me through that day. So I appreciate that tip and I hope our listeners uh, do too. Brian, we're just running out of time. Is there anything that I've missed out that you'd like to speak about? Yeah, I think I wanted to talk about social media too, going back to tips on how to stay mindful or get into that mindfulness state. Yep. I've been sucked into the social media rabbit hole a lot, especially in the last couple of weeks. I mean, with the killing and murder of George Floyd yep, in yep. Minneapolis, the acts of violence that we're seeing committed against African-Americans and then the protesting and the riots. It's hard not to get sucked into social media because that's our really our only form of news sometimes. I think people have yep. stopped watching the news, which is a good thing. But I would encourage people in terms of the morning pages work, to try to do your morning pages or your journaling or your gratitude before you look at social media. I think it's, I mean, it'd be great if you can just not look at social media at all, but I don't think that's realistic Mm -hmm. with the way most people interact socially and get their news. But the, the idea of morning pages is to try to be the first, you are the first person to put your ideas out there as opposed to the first act that you take every day is to consume someone else's ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think if we do that in the gratitude journal, is a great, as, as a great idea to put your own thoughts on gratitude onto paper as the first act that you do every day. Sounds like a fantastic way to stay focused and keep your priorities straight throughout the day. So that's, uh, that's cool that you're doing that. Yeah, when it comes to that morning uh, mindset journal, the moment we wake up, it has to be pen, pen to paper because I, I believe there's a part of that 
part of our dream that kind of gets captured in in that writing as well because you know we're still fresh waking up and it's it, it is our, our thoughts i find it very tough to remember my dreams but there are moments when you know the moment you wake up you're like oh man that was an incredible dream or that was a very interesting dream if you just put that down on paper it shows a lot in terms of what your thought process is and what type of dreams you're having that can kind of lead you towards the the, the day as well yeah that's really cool yeah I'm, I'm glad you shared that with me tommy brian thank you again for coming on the stressless entrepreneur podcast it has been a pleasure tommy thanks for having me on there you have it guys thank you for tuning into the stressless entrepreneur podcast with me your host tommy Bowie. if you like what you've heard today please make sure you subscribe to our show and share this podcast with your friends leave us a review so that we can take on your comments grow with you as a channel and keep providing you quality, stress-free content. If you have a story to tell or just want to say hi, drop me an email on hello at the stresslessentrepreneur.com. I'll catch you all on the next episode.